This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. This week we have an episode of Author's Playhouse, Flight to Eris. It first aired on October 5th, 1942 over the NBC Red Network. It tells the story of French reconnaissance pilots in the early days of World War II. Author's Playhouse was an anthology program that aired at various times over the mutual NBC Blue and NBC Red Networks from 1940 to 1945. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Author's Playhouse. Presenting Antoine de Saint-Zuperi's deeply stirring account of France at war, Flight to Arras. Those days in June 1940 were fateful days for France. They were fateful days for the whole world. Knowing their doom, Frenchmen went to war to make a gesture. And yet, something may come of a gesture. And what it meant for one man is told by the brilliant author and airman Antoine de Saint-Zuperi as Author's Playhouse presents this tale of the spiritual significance of A Flight to Arras. Controls frozen. What could you do? Well, I've always said... It's funny. They must have had at least 80 searchlights hunting for us. It's like flying through a room full of pillars. And then he tried to land. There's undercarriage half shot away. 
Guns jammed. Not a chance. What do you say, Jean? Oh, hello, Rene. Come sit down. I'll do some card tricks for you. All right. Here. Take a card. Anyone? Yes, anyone. Look at it. There. Now remember what it was and put it back in the deck. All right. Jack of hearts, Rene? Oh, that's it. Do it once more. <laughs> Very well. Here. Three of clubs? You're a marvel, Captain. How did you do it? Well, first you shuffle the deck. And then when you spread them out, you... Captain Jean and Lieutenant Rene, report to the Major. Did you know it was our turn, Captain? Pojeda flew this morning. Oh, yes. I remember. I remember. The fact that we had been sent for meant only one thing. We were ordered out on a sortie. We had reached the last days of May 1940, a time of full retreat, of full disaster. Crew after crew was being offered up as a sacrifice. It was as if you dashed glassfuls of water into a forest fire in the hope of putting it out. Fifty reconnaissance crews were all we had for the whole French army. Fifty crews of three men each. And out of that fifty, twenty-three made up our particular unit. Now, after three weeks of fighting, seventeen of those twenty-three had vanished. Our group had melted like a lump of wax. Statistics? Yes, these are statistics. They are the measure of our defeat and the defeat of our country. But they are also the measure of another thing. to show how France fought. Afternoon, John. Hello, Rene. Sit down. Clerk, fetch me the weather reports. Hmm. I suppose you know why I sent for you? Sortie, I suppose. Yes. Well, it's very awkward, I know. But the staff people want it done. They very much want it done. I argued with them, yes, but they want it done, and that's that. Yes, of course. Things being as they are, well, there's no use worrying about it. No. You'll probably not find it so difficult. Here. Here's your course. They want a photography sortie at 3,300 feet, and then, here at Arras, a bit of reconnaissance at 2,000. Tank parks, you know. Arras is really the important thing. Yes, I see. If this sortie bothers you, Jean, if you don't feel up to it today, why, I can... Oh, no, Major. You've been having it quite steady these days, you know. All of us have. Yes, I suppose so. I just thought that if you... No, Major. Well, then, there's nothing more. Lieutenant Rene, you lay out your course and, well, perhaps you'd better get along and dress now. I want you off the ground at 5.30. Very good, Major. See you this evening, then. Yes, of course. Good luck to you. Thank you, sir. This sortie has got on his nerves, too. Hmm. What do they take us for, sending us off on these low-altitude sorties? What's the use of it? By the time we get the information back, the troop columns will be somewhere else. The tanks, everything. The whole face of the land will have changed. 
What good is the information? What, what is the use of sending us out? I don't know. I wish I did. If it weren't so useless, so completely useless. An awkward sortie, the Major said. In one which is not awkward, one plane out of three manages to return. Naturally, the ratio is not the same when a sortie is nasty. I go to my room and prepare to dress. Item by item, I piece together my flags. Is my mind filled with spiritual thoughts of the war of the Nazis against civilization? Not at all. I think in terms of immediate details. I think of possible wounds, of going down in flames. I think of the absurdity of flying over German-held Arras at 2,000 feet, of the futility of the intelligence we are asked to bring back, of the interminable time it takes to dress in these clothes that remind me of men made ready for the executioner. And I think of my gloves... Where the devil are my gloves? You there. Have you seen my gloves? No, not those. Have a look in my bag. Sorry, sir. Can't find them. Oh, you fool. Why don't you keep check of those things? Sorry. Of course you're sorry. But that doesn't bring back my gloves. And orderly, have you got that pencil? Pencil, sir? Yes, pencil. I asked you to get me a pencil. I have been asking you for ten minutes to get me a pencil. Haven't you got one? Here it is, sir. Hmm. Here. Tie a string around it and then knot it around this button. Yes, what do you want? Lieutenant Rene, sir. Gunner and I are ready. No, I'll be out in a moment. Can't you tie that knot? Is it impossible for you to do a little thing like that? There you are, sir. Yeah. Well? They're warming her up, Captain. All right. Nothing keeping us. Let's go. Everything shipshape, Rene? Worked out your course? Uh, yes, Captain. And you, Gunner? You seem to be looking rather cheerful. I'm all ready, sir. I wish once, just once, that General Staff would fly its own sortie. Sitting behind Here that desk. Here comes Captain Vassin, sir. Who? Oh, Vassin. Hello, Jean. Sortie? You might know. That looks bad. Very bad. Very bad indeed. How are you going out? By the town of Albert. Oh, I thought so. I knew it. Bad business. Now stop talking like a fool. What's up? You'll never make it. You'll have to give up this sortie. Give it up? Oh, that's fine. We'll give it up just like that. Poof. You'll never get through, I tell you. And why shall I never get through? I'll tell you why. There's three groups of German fighter planes circling permanently over Albert. One at 18,000 feet, another at 25,000, and a third at 33,000. They fly in relays and hang on until they're relieved. You fly straight into a German net. In short, Captain, what you're trying to tell me is that the Germans have an air force and that this sortie is not altogether advisable, eh? Isn't that it? Well, we know it here. Why don't you go and tell it to General Staff? I'm just trying to warn you, that's all. You should know what you're getting into. We do. Well, good luck then, anyway. Yes. Come on, you two. Let's push off. Funny about Vassan. It wouldn't have cost him anything to be a little more cheerful. Why couldn't he have merely said, Oh, by the way, the Germans have a few fighters over Albert. It would have amounted to the same thing. That's his way, I suppose. Is she all set? Ready to go, sir. All right. File in, you two. Here, hand me another helmet. I've told you 20 times, but my own won't do. It's too tight. But this is another helmet, sir. I sent back your old one. Oh, sorry. 
Give me a boost, will you? All right. Up you go. Check your intercom. Can you hear me, Rene? I hear you, Captain. You, Gunner. Hear me. I... Yes, sir. Clearly. Rene, can you hear the Gunner? Clearly, Captain. Gunner, can you hear Lieutenant Rene? I... Yes, sir. Clearly. What makes you stutter back there? What are you hesitating about? Sorry, sir. I was looking for my pencil. Gunner, have a look at your oxygen bottles. Air pressure normal? Uh, yes, sir. Normal. In all three bottles? All three, sir. All set, Rene? All set, Captain. Gunner? All set, sir. Let's go. Altitude 12,000, airspeed 296, compass 313 degrees. Check, check, check. It is strange, this union between plane and man. I sit here among a clutter of accessories. Oxygen tubes, heating connections, the speaking tubes that form the intercommunications between the crew. I have 103 instruments to watch, and I sit here depending upon them for my life. I am wedded to them for the present, as a man is wedded to a woman. I watch them anxiously, lovingly, eager to obey their least signal. And the mask through which I breathe, that too is strange. It attaches me to the plane by a rubber tube as indispensable as an umbilical cord. The plane is plugged to the circulation of my blood. It is part of my body. And the bullets which penetrate it seem to tear my own flesh. I checked the oxygen flow. We've been rising fast and are 22,000 feet already. Oxygen all right, Renee? How do you feel? First rate, Captain. You, Gunner. How's your oxygen? All right, sir. Oh, Gunner, no good-sized town behind you in your cone of fire? No, sir. All clear. Check your guns. Go ahead, let fly. Work all right? Works fine, sir. All of them? Yes, sir. Good. Airspeed 3-5. Compass 313. Check your dials, levers, guns, firing button. Regulate your oxygen flow. Check one end against another. Right rudder. Now try left. Good. The controls are not sluggish. I am beginning to feel a quiet glow of comfort, and it all comes to this. I am working at my trade now. At this moment, the war between the Nazis and civilization is reduced to the scale of my job. Checking these instruments, manipulating them, will bring victory or defeat. I think of nothing more than this now. And it is right to feel this way. For the sexton's love of God becomes a love of lighting candles. Each candlestick, blooming one after another, testifies to his love. And so the war for me. Captain. Yes? Too much drift to port. A little kick to the right. Right. Oh, Captain. Rene. We're crossing our lines now. I've started my camera. What's your altitude? 3,300. Hold it. Off my course there. He was right. I was drifting too much to port. 
But I didn't want to. That's the strange thing. Consciously, I wished to stay on my course, but my body registered its disapproval of the idea. With the eye of my body, I could see the town of Albert far ahead, and I remember there are three levels of fighter planes over it. My body begins to remember every sudden crash of the past, every laceration and fracture it has suffered. It remembers flames and the long, cutting whips of tracer bullets. My body is afraid of blows, and it automatically shuns Albert. The moment I leave it to itself, it drifts to port. Every laceration and fracture it has suffered, it remembers flames and the long, cutting whips of tracer bullets. My body is afraid of blows, and it automatically shuns Albert. The moment I leave it to itself, it drifts to port. Strange thing, this body. I am one who believes that the spirit of man alone is important. Yet here is a body that dominates the spirit and makes it afraid. It is difficult to understand. I am beginning to wonder why I am here. What do I accomplish by risking my body in a thing like this? What use is there? Captain. Captain. Yes? Six German fighters on the port bow. Gunner. Sir? Do you hear the lieutenant? Six ahead, port bow. Yes, I heard. Have they seen us, Rene? Yes, backing toward us. Fifteen hundred feet below. Hear that, Gunner? Yes. How near are they? About six seconds, Captain. On our tail in a few seconds, Gunner. Gunner, they're crossing broadside. There. Don't see them yet, sir. Yes, I do now. I've lost them myself. Are they after us? Yes. Rising fast? Fairly fast. We're heading into the sun. May lose them that way. Hang on. Still after us, Gunner? They're still coming. We gaining at all? Well, no. Perhaps. Are we losing them, Gunner? I believe so. Yes, we are, sir. Rene. Captain? I... nothing. Anything the matter? Nothing. I thought... no, nothing. Captain? Yes, Gunner? I think we've lost them. Sure? Very sure. They're banking down. Thank God. Thank Sir? God. Uh, nothing, just talking. Well, we're alive anyway, Captain. Yes, for the time being. We are alive. Even for the time being, it is good. There is only a profound sense of gratitude inside me. Something able to be expressed. A scene is suddenly brought back to me from boyhood. The present falls away from me like dirt from a washed body. I am a boy once again, alive with the blind wonder of being alive, and this memory rises up before me, fresh as the afternoon it happened. I stood in my father's fields, watching two hawks circling over a pigeon. The pigeon, all unaware of them, was flying toward its coat in our barn. And then the hawks dropped downward, and the pigeon sensed that death was upon him. He beat his wings in a desperate effort to reach the barn and just made it. The hawk swooped low and then climbed upward into the sky again. I can remember that now, and it takes significance in my brain. Death is all about one, and there is no escape. And then, suddenly, a way is opened and life stretches out again like fields in the morning sun. It is something definitely to think about. Captain, the camera work is nearly finished. Give me a few minutes more and we can make for Horace. Say when. 
Arras, the second half of our mission. Low altitude reconnaissance. The pigeon escapes the hawk only to meet the charge from the shotgun. Well, since there is no escape, we may as well do our job as workmanlike as possible. Still, why should it be this way? You may drop down now, Captain. Very well. Going down, Gunner. Flying to Arras is like this. You have lost altitude over your own zone. Now you head north again and the earth spills out below you. The highways are swarming with refugees. Yesterday they were people of France, gathering their grain from the fields, breaking their dead in homes of peace. Today they are refugees. People without a nation. Somewhere in the north of France, a boot has scattered an anthill and the ants are fleeing. These are your people. And sitting here in the cockpit of your plane, you feel their pain rise up to you through the intervening space. It is a pain old as the heart of man. It does not stir you to anger as it should. It merely impresses you more than ever with the mark of defeat. Your nation is in flight below you. Your nation is defeated. Can personal victory help one bit? Can the success of your mission count for anything in all this defeat? Once, all this earth below you was yours. Now it is divided into your lines and theirs. Twilight has come at last, and all the plain is blue. It streams out below you with all the warm intimacy it had for you in other days. There are trees looking like hedges and green fields. There are the barns with stored-up grain and the little houses with red-tiled roofs. Is it possible that there is a war? Everything is so peaceful, almost within reach. I can handle all the good things of the earth. There are the plum trees with their blossoms. There is the wet-smelling earth. There is the wet alfalfa moving under my wings. 174, Captain. 174. Beginning to get a bit nasty, Captain. Yes. Better start zigzagging. Right. Up ahead lies Arras. It is burning, and at first it is merely a red plume against the background of night. Then it becomes a constant flame. Then it grows slowly, little by little, into a great block of flame licking at the sky. Made it. Rene, how much more of this? Stick it out three minutes, Captain. Looks bad, though. Think we'll get through? No, but stick it out. This is Arras. A thousand guns below cutting loose at you. Hundreds of thousands of phosphorescent bullets threading the air to you, like stalks of wheat, like rapidly flashing knitting needles, like seeds of wheat blown from the mouth of a thresher. They rise towards you, billow out, surround you in a network of golden wire. This is Arras. The fabric of your wings is shredding. Your gas tanks are pierced like sieves, the rubber coating alone saving you. The body of your plane staggers under each blow, wrenches, seems about to burst.
minute, Captain. Just one more. This is Arras. The clouds are low, Captain. You might try for them. It's all over now. Yes, Rene. You all right? Yes. Gunner, you're not hurt. Okay, sir. We're in the cloud now. Rene, check our course. Yes, sir. 240, please. We shan't be able to come down out of it for more than about 20 minutes. I'll pick out some landmark along the Seine, then. Good. How were things back there, Gunner? Not too bad, sir. Wasn't too hot for you? No, I guess not, sir. Still 240, Rene? Yes, sir. We are alive, all of us. Somehow we have come through the shadow when we had given up. Death had touched our bodies, and having escaped death, we knew that the body is merely a tool in man's service. Flames strip away flesh, bullets strip it away, but they strip away the worship of flesh, too. Man, in that instant, ceases to be concerned with himself. He recognizes of a sudden what he forms a part of. He does not lose himself then, he finds himself at last. For man is a knot, a web, a mesh into which relationships are tied. Only those relationships matter. The body is an old crock that nobody will miss. This is true, and I have learned it only because I have come back from Arras. Captain. Yes. That'll make it 246. 246. Think we can come down now, Rene? Ten minutes more. Better wait the ten minutes. As you say. Rene. Yes? What will you do tonight when we land? I don't know. Have a good pipe, I suppose. Perhaps I shall challenge La Cordaire to a game of chess tonight. La Cordaire is a good player. Yes, but I shall beat him tonight. I know. How about you, Gunner? How will you celebrate? I think I shall eat three extra slices of ham. I'm frightfully hungry. Yes, and play the phonograph, too. How about you, Captain? I shall have a pipe, too. Yes. And I shall go for a walk. You have no idea how much I wanted to feel solid earth under my boots today. Yes, I know. I want to walk through the village to the outskirts and listen to the crickets chirp. Cheerful things, crickets. Do you ever listen? Captain, look. Down there. It's the Seine, do you see? Yes. Yes, I see. We're almost home again. Imagine. I never thought... You never thought you would see it again, did you, Rene? No, Captain, I didn't. Nor did I. But we must not think any more about it. We're back. We're really back this time. This day I have led René and my gunner beyond the bourne at which reasonable men would stop. We have seen France in flames. We have seen the sun shining on the sea. We have grown old in the upper altitudes and we have played with the dust of enemy fighter planes. And after that, we dropped earthward again and flung ourselves into the Holocaust. What we could offer up, we have sacrificed. And in that sacrifice, we have learned more about ourselves and our country than we should have done if we had spent 10 years in a monastery. And we have learned this. There is no importance in the body. It is something to be burned and scourged and broken. It is something to be defeated and shamed. We know this now, and France knows it. For it is our bodies that are going down before the Nazis, our bodies alone, because the spirit of France shines as it always has. 
For we went to war knowing full well that it signified disaster. Did we refuse battle simply because it meant defeat? We knew what the end would be, but even so we fought. With us, spirit conquered intelligence. France played her part, and her part consisted in offering herself up to be crushed and seeing herself buried for a time in silence. But we know that someday this silence will be broken. Life always bursts the boundaries of formulas. Despite its ugliness, defeat will prove to be the only path to our resurrection. To create a tree, I must first condemn a seed to rot. After that, life gathers itself and thrusts its way upward despite all barriers. And I say this, we have planted the seed now. We have condemned it to rot by this our defeat. But through sacrifice, futile as it may seem, through the sacrifice of each plane, each crew member, each soldier, we will give the seed life. We will give it nourishment. Even in our defeat, we will do this. And one day the seed will flower and the long silence will be broken and France will speak to men again, this time in words of triumph.